and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. My name is Craig Booker. The title of this episode is The Power of Perfect Love. The material in this episode is inspired by Winning the War on Worry by Louis Giglio. Note, I will talk a lot about mental health, but please note this is not a substitute for therapy or mental health care. I am not a counselor or physician. If you need help with mental health challenges, please find a qualified mental health professional. The title of this episode is The Power of Perfect Love. In the last episode, we discuss inviting God into your worry. So far, we we are probably halfway or a little bit more. This week will put us a little bit over halfway through the book. So for this chapter, we're, we're talking about, or this episode, we're talking about the, the power of perfect love. And while the title is maybe not quite as as attractive as worry is a liar or one of the other you know chapters that are more directly i don't know applicable is the right word but really is catching in title uh, but i think this section this content has some huge impact in how we go about our lives so starting out in this section louis is talking uh about perfect love and he says when we invite God into our worry, we begin to realize that more than any solution, he wants to give us a savior. He wants to invite us into an intimate and personal relationship with his son. Uh, he goes on to say the counter agent for worry isn't control. It's faith rooted in love. And so he, he's making these statements to kind of set up the scene for a story. And uh, he opens with this story talking about when Louis was in college and he had, well, he had graduated college. He was getting ready to go to seminary in Texas and he was in a long distance relationship with uh, his wife, Shelly. Of course, they're married now, but they weren't back then. So Shelly was going to a school um uh, it's Baylor University. It's in Texas. And he was going to seminary, I guess, a few hours away. He didn't really go into details about where semin what seminary he went to. But he would often get in the car and drive hours just to be able to see Shelly for a few minutes. So, you know, they were in a long distance relationship, as he describes, and he's going into setting the context that back then there were no smartphones. There was no video calls like we use for our meeting. Uh, you know, there was no FaceTime to be able to to see one another like we can today. And so techno uh, the technology back then was much more primitive and did not allow for some of the conveniences that we have today. So, you know, in order for them to to see one another, that meant that he had to get in the car and probably drive a few hours to get there to see her. And she's in college studying for exams. And he tells this story when about they hadn't seen each other in person for a while, and he really didn't have much of a plan, but he just hopped in his car and started driving one night and he arrived at her dorm room and went into the lobby and he describes how he had two cans of a, a drink called Hawaiian punch and that was their favorite drink at the time and so he goes to the front desk 
at for her dorm room and has and puts the two cans on the desk and asks the person at the front desk to call up to her and have her come down uh, to let her know that someone had left something for her. And so he has these cans sitting on the desks there. He hides somewhere there in the lobby so he can see her reaction when she comes down. And uh, so when she comes down, like she immediately knows he's there because he had brought in two of their favorite drink. And so, you know, they hang out in the lobby talking for, I think he said about 15 minutes and she was in the process of studying for exams, so she couldn't stay very long. And so, you know, after they had visited for a little while, she goes back up to her room to study and he's off to leave to go back home. And it, he was talking about how, you know, he was thinking of all the cute guys that are there on campus that probably liked his. Uh, to, probably like Shelly at the time, thought she was really cute. And uh, he wanted to express his feelings of love for Shelly. And so, you know, he thought up this idea. And so he went to the grocery store that was lo local there and picked up some poster board, picks up some markers and some other supplies because he wanted to make this really big sign uh, to post in the courtyard uh, so that he could give Shelly a wake-up call in the next morning so that when she opened the blinds, she would see this big sign that said, I love you, and she would automatically know that it was from Louis. And so, um, so, you know, he made that sign. He posted it. He knew about where her window was or where her window faced in the courtyard. And so he posted it there and covered it up so it wouldn't get disturbed by the rain. Uh, and, and that's the story that he opens with. And so he's talking about the reasons why. Like, why did he do this? You know, he had no plan going there to see her. He, he didn't think it through. Uh, he just wanted to see her. And, you know, this whole idea with, you know, making this poster... It was born out of just he just loved her and he wanted her to know it. And so it, it was just what he talked about is that he was hopelessly in love with Shelly and he wanted her to know it. And so that's the story he opens with. He's talking about uh, about perfect love. And so he tra then transitions to talking about God's great love for you. And he says, do you realize God has left a stunningly powerful message of love for you? He hung the greatest I love you of all time on a tree at Calvary through the death of his son. You can see his message from wherever you are today. If you just turn and look towards the cross. He goes on to say, speaking of. God, he says, he has never loved you more because of your good deeds, nor has he ever loved you less because of your sinful acts you have committed. He is love. He, his love is unchanging. It is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He continues, in his love, we have the only weapon we'll ever need to extinguish and eradicate worry from our lives. 
So then we transition to asking, what is your operating system? So he tells a story about technology these days. The public has become familiar with this idea of an operating system. Everybody, you know, the majority of people either have a phone or a computer or something that runs software that allows them to operate the device. And he goes into talking about every year, you know, big technology providers update this operating system and things change, making it faster, adding features. And so he's talking about this idea of an operating system and he says, we have heart, we have a hardware, our bodies and a software, our minds and spirits. And when it comes to winning the war on worry by recognizing the power of perfect love, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, what operating system are we using? He then says, this is the breakdown of where most of our worry comes from. It starts with fear, uh, progresses to control, and then to worry. Uh, he said, we entertain feelings of fear, often stemming from questions starting with what if. Think back to chapter one. What if I get sick? What if I don't measure up? What if I lose a loved one or my job or my house? What if she walks away from the marriage? What if people found out just how broken I am? Our fear leads us to control or to try to control, to try to stand up and straighten up to take the necessary actions to avoid negative outcomes. But our shoulders were never meant to carry the weight of being in full control. So as we realize that control is actually quicksand pulling us even further under, we begin to worry. Fear spawns the need for control, which gives birth to worry. And from worry comes a whole host of unhealthy practices and compromises. I mean, you might have seen this play out in your own life, uh, you know, this progression. And he, he shows kind of like not really a diagram, but he has like uh, the word fear and then an arrow going to control and then an arrow going to worry. So anytime that we experience fear, uh, we will probably see this progression in my own uh, journey. What I've seen is if try to add some layer to this. Of how trauma plays into this. If we experience. Some uh, events that. Are traumatizing to us like either just one. That one event can propel us to have fear because it's kind of like we get knocked off our feet by that event. We weren't expecting it, we didn't see it coming, and all of a sudden we're just taken back by whatever happened to us in our lives. And so that event causes us in our brains to start thinking about, we wanna prevent or protect ourselves or our family, uh, depending on the situation, and so we start thinking about ways that we can control things, whether that's, you know, keeping your home safe. Uh, in my 
my experience, nothing happened to make my family unsafe. So I had things happen to me at work, losing a job or struggling to find a job. But immediately my brain was trying to exercise control because of the fear that I was experiencing. And so I stepped up my game of making sure my house was secure. And that was just me trying to control. And then that progressed even worse when that wasn't working to worry. And so it went from experiencing a traumatic event, which created fear in my own life. Uh, it sped up the need for control to try to protect my family. And then it, it progressed to worry, uh, consistently worrying, worrying about all different types of things like, you know, like he was describing. So I hope that progression kind of helps make things clear. So he talks about if that's the formula for how the world operates, what about how we as children of God should operate? So if that's the broken way that the world operates, what's what's the best practice, right? That, that's the question I'm getting here, is what is the best practice for believers? And he says it should go something like this. We start with love because uh, God loves us and he shows us his love. And then that love should lead us to surrender and then to trust. So before we had fear with an arrow going to control, with an arrow going to worry. Here we have love with an arrow going to surrender and then another arrow going to trust. So it says when we invite God into our worry, and dwell in the abiding relationship with Jesus, our operating system shifts. Instead of fear being the motivator for our lives, we start with love. That's what scripture means when it says in 1 John 4, 18 through 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. He goes on to say, when we experience and internalize the perfect love of God, there is no room for fear. He says, perfect love drives out fear. And once fear is gone, we no longer have the pressing need for control. Instead, we can be free to fully surrender and submit to the perfect love of God because we trust that his love is not only his not only his best offering it's what's best for us and he goes into another section here i i want to pause here because part of me says i understand what louis talking about if I if Louie was there, I'd say, I understand you, Louie, but what about this over here? And what about this trauma that I've been through? Because I, I think that if we just look at this material as it is, it's helpful, it's good, but sometimes our brain health is not that easy. I don't know about any of you, but sometimes it's not that simple. Like true, 
like perfect love does cast out fear. But when you go through traumatic events, it's not that simple because maybe you don't feel safe anymore. And I, what I know is if someone doesn't feel what's called felt safety, they're going to have a really hard time using this material. And so that's why I want to pause here and say, yes, this is absolutely true. But at the same time, if someone is constantly in fight or flight mode, meaning they they are not feeling safe, they're going to really ha struggle with what we just talked about. And what I've learned even more recently is figuring out how in my own life I get to that point of felt safety. Because once I get there, I can start living out what Louis is talking about. But if I can't get there as an individual, as a believer, I'm just going to struggle with this. Because it, it somewhat feels not fair. You know, if I was having a conversation, I would be like, but, but, you know, I would, I would be hesitating with this and fighting it. If I was in that mindset, I would be saying, if I was on the listening end, I'd be saying, Craig, you just don't get what I've been through. You don't, you haven't seen what I've seen. Uh, you know, you haven't experienced what, what I've lost. And so I want to let you know that I hear you. I understand it. I've been on that end. I get that. What I would uh, say is you need if you're in that place where this just doesn't seem possible and you're constantly in fight or flight mode, uh, always looking for the next thing that's going to harm you, you need to get to a place of felt safety. And that I can't give you a formula for that because that's going to be different based on you and your preferences and your experiences. But that has really been the thing that's really helped me is getting to that point. And I don't have a formula for it. I don't know what one thing did it for me. I just know that that made this possible for me. So uh, we'll continue on. Uh, so he goes on to say, and it, he's talking about Romans 8.31. And it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then it goes into verse 32, which says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Louis asks, do you see the connection? Worry has no place in our hearts because God loved us so much that he already sent his son for us. He didn't spare Jesus, but instead sent him to show us how perfectly and how much he loves us. If God was willing to do that, how will he not also help us overcome every fear and source of worry in our lives. It would be like someone being willing to give you their house, but then refusing you to give a $1 bill. It just doesn't make sense. So he says, I want to point out one last thing about the text in Romans 8.32. It ends with the phrase, all things. Paul wrote, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. The term for all things in Greek is pos, like P-A-S. It means each, every, any, all, the whole. In other words, everything. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who 
have been called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. So you've probably heard this verse, Romans 8.28, and he, he uses this phrase, all things, again. He asks, do you see the correlation? God, along with Jesus, loves you so much that he is willing to give you all things. And all those things that he is giving you, he is committed to working out for your good. Uh, and he says that word good is a bit tricky because it doesn't always mean positive external circumstances. Remember, we know people still walk through very real and very difficult circumstances. We live on a broken planet with an actual and vicious enemy. But the word good means that you're going to win in the end. He says God is committed to working to working all things out for the good of those who love him, he's proven it by not sparing his only son, but sending him. And through Jesus' blood, you and I can use a new operating system to replace fear and grow in love. So that's a lot to unpack, right? There's a lot of verses and concepts to unpack there. Um, I really like how... Louis kind of explains this. You know, I've heard other messages in the past that quote the first John 4, 18 through 19 that says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I've I've had people, you know, mention that in messages, but nobody really gets to the practical. So I really like this and I want to try to unpack it a bit. So Louis's point is God has spared no expense at meeting our needs. He explains that the word good is tricky because it doesn't mean that our circumstances are all going to be, you know, peachy, all perfect. It, you know, it's not going to work out like we hope it would work out. But that doesn't mean that it's not good. Does, does that hit home with anybody else? He is working for our good, but that good is not always how we picture it. And I think that's where many people get lost. That, that's where many people walk away from their faith is because they expect that word good to mean exactly how they pictured in their mind good, meaning their their circumstances are going to work out perfectly. They're going to get the job they've been needing. You know, it's going to fix their marriage. Uh, they are just not understanding that that doesn't mean that our life's going to work out perfect in the way that we see it, but it means that we're going to win in the end. So he asks the question, and I, I think you really should reflect on this for yourself. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he loves you? Your instinct reaction may be, of course, Craig, I believe he loves me. I think it's worth pausing on. Reflecting on it. All right. So I, I ask the question again, do you believe that God loves you? Because sometimes when we go through things, things that we face in our life, Trauma hits us, not just one thing, several things. It causes us to question. We start to wonder about God's goodness and his faithfulness and his plan that we've been told about, that God has a plan for our lives. It causes us to question, not just if he has a plan, but is he still good and does he still love us? Circumstances do that to us. And I think that at times we we really 
question this and we really need to revisit some of the foundations of our faith because our current circumstances brings this into question and we need to be reminded. So he goes on, he says, not just that he likes you when you're doing good things for him, not that he tolerates you even though you occasionally slip up from being holy, but that he loves you and that nothing absolutely and unequivocally nothing can separate you from that love. If you believe that and you hold it in your heart and mind, you have the greatest and only weapon you will ever need to put a dagger through the heart of worry. You know, if if we really dig down and don't gloss over and don't just say, well, of course, Craig, God loves me. Yeah, I, I believe he, you know, sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Sometimes we really just need to absorb and really ask the question whether we believe God loves us. And we need to revisit that. We're really questioning that whether we're thinking about it or not. It's in the back of our head somewhere. Subconsciously, we're questioning God's love for us. So again, he says that if you believe that, that he loves you and hold it in your heart and mind, you have the greatest and only weapon you'll ever need to put a dagger through the heart of worry. Because if he really loves us, he wants what's best for us. He's watching over us. All of these things that we flip out over, all these not yet realized challenges that our minds start fixating on, you know, all of these things that cause us to panic and wonder, like, does God really care for us? Are we going to be safe? You know, all of these things just rock our world. But we need to get back to the point of whether we really believe that God loves us. Because if we, in our hearts, in our minds, if we can get this in our head, that he really loves us, he wants what's best for us, he is good, and he is working behind the scenes when it doesn't seem like it. If we really believe this, that really reframes everything we're looking at in our world. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to struggle through it. You're not going to be like, yeah, I believe. You're not going to be like, you know, that story in the Bible where the guy's like, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's where we're going to be a lot of the times, at least as for me. I'm going to be like, yeah, God, I believe, but I'm really having, I'm struggling through believing. I need help. But I think that's a fundamental question that we just miss. We don't even consider it when we're talking about worry, we're talking about fear, we're talking about anxiety. Uh, You know, we go to the doctor to try to address our anxiety and they give us medicine and that's great, but we never stop and ask the question that is so key to our worldview is do we believe that God loves us? Do we believe in his goodness? Do we believe that he has a plan and that he's working all things for good? And we just need to reground ourselves in our faith at that point. We may need to have a lot of honest conversations with God, saying, God, I'm struggling. I, I do believe this, but I need your help. So I hope I hope that really just sinks in. Because I needed that message. 
I wanted to skip over this chapter because I've heard this the, this verse that says, you know, perfect love drives out fear and it got me nowhere. I felt like this is the Sunday school answer that everybody gives to people that are struggling with fear and anxiety and worry. They just shove this verse at you and say, kind of like you, if you really believe this, you should do better. But I think as individuals, we really need to to have those conversations with God because we're doubting it and, and we're looking past God's love. We need to be reminded. A lot of times we need to be reminded of his faithfulness. We need to go back and look in our journal and see when he answered prayer, when we needed something, we needed his provision and he showed up. Because no matter whether you're supporting someone that's struggling with brain health or you're going through it yourself, the journey is gonna be longer and it's going to take more out of you than you have. And you're going to need this reassurance that God is good and he loves you. Because most likely everything's not going to work out exactly how you planned. And it's going to be rough. So our discussion, we'll go through discussion questions here. And then... I encourage you to do this later during your week. Number one, recall the last time you demonstrated your love for someone else. How did that make you feel? And what does that tell you about how God loves you? So it has the progression fear and then an arrow pointing to control and the arrow pointing to worry. And then it says, or love with an arrow pointing to surrender with another arrow pointing to trust. What operating system do you find yourselves falling back on more often than others? So which one of those do you choose most of the time? What circumstances trigger you towards one operating system or the other? Number three, what would change in your life if you more richly understood how much God loves you? All right, number four, it says, read First John. What truths do you see in this chapter that relate to the love of God? How can you internalize one or two of those truths today? That's all for this episode. If you would like to receive updates about future episodes of Overflow, head over to overflow.community slash subscribe. Remember, no one should face anxiety or depression alone. Join a growing community learning about brain health and following Jesus. For more information, head over to overflow.community/connect.